Hey, I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and this is Plain Spoken. On this channel, we cover a lot of different topics, one of which is this theme of the United Methodist Church closing churches against their will. We started with Fifth, Fifth Avenue United Methodist in North Carolina. We went to Struthers United Methodist in East Ohio, First United Methodist of Oklahoma City followed, and now this episode is going to be on Surf City, uh, California, which is in the Cal Nevada Annual Conference. So this is this is a pattern that you're going to see more and more. Uh, that's my theory. I don't think it's going to stop here. TJ and I are in the recording studio today to talk through this particular case. We've been on the phone with locals in this church, and then we've also, I've reached out to the district leadership, which hasn't gotten back to me. I don't anticipate that they will, uh, because Others have already written on this topic, and the district has also not gotten to them. So those who have already covered this, we will have links to it in the show notes. The Epic Times did a good article on it. The Los Angeles Times did uh, some of the core reporting. And then Good News Magazine, from what I could tell, mostly just pulled on the Lo uh, Los Angeles Times quotes and, and focused on what was going on. So we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to try and tell the story of this congregation um, we've done this a few times before. The, the story is always bigger and more complicated than we can really present here, and we know that people don't like just spending all the time in the world on this stuff. But we have been aware there are a lot of people that want to know these stories. They, they are being gaslighted by their annual conferences saying, no, no, we it'll never happen here, but it's happened uh, in four places that we know of. And then when you look at a national international denomination that is uh, floundering and flailing, running out of money, then what you're going to see is intentional hostile takeover of churches that can then, the, the people can be kicked out and you can resell their property in order to keep yourself afloat for some time. And that is absolutely what seems to be going on here at Surf City. So um, just getting right into the history, Surf City, uh, as it uh, came to be was established in 1904 as a kind of tent church that then got established. It was part of the predecessor Methodist Episcopal Church, and then whenever the denominational switch took over uh, in 1968, they filed paperwork to be affiliated with the United Methodist Church in 1972. The problem, according to this interview that they did on the Epic Times, this is this is it right here. Okay, well, let's just look at the start of this article. In front of Surf City Church is a sign that reads, this is still God's property. He's not done with it. The church is currently home to the small non-denominational church called The Well, which rents space from Surf City, a roughly 100-member United Methodist congregation that it's been at the location since 1967. This is actually the oldest church in all of Huntington Beach. The Well Senior Pastor, that's not the United Methodist Pastor, that's a, another church that's, that's operating out of there, he said, uh, what started as tented church services in 1904 grew into the church's building that's here today. But the Well and Surf City Church are now at the risk of losing their church where they conduct services as the property is owned by the United Methodist Church. That's actually not true. The United Methodist Church is saying that they are trustees of the property. So there are a number of pieces that you're going to want to watch to understand this better. One is an interview with the lawyer, uh, Lunsford, um, and so look that up. 
And then the others are the pieces of these local churches uh, that have been disaffiliated, Struthers, Fifth Avenue, Oklahoma City First. You're also going to want to watch the piece on um, Hotel Calpac. So Surf City was part of the UMC until a decade ago when it disaffiliated. Well, okay, that's not true either. Due to its biblical interpretation that the celebration of marriage should exist between a man and woman theology, which both non-denominational, the well, and Surf City aligned. So when I talked to them, you were there, you said, no, 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 this isn't an email correspondence. They said, we're actually not right-wing, we're just not far-left woke. You yeah, know? they said it was not, a, the uh, human sexuality thing was not an issue. Or at yeah. least that's what I read. In the, in well, the okay, so the quote from the article in the LA Times is, the issue is much bigger than that it has to do with scriptural interpretation, right. and they just didn't want to make the LGBTQ thing the center of what they were doing, and they wanted to distance themselves from the denomination in that area, which was making it their main thing. So Anyways. they have not established themselves, you know, we're against gay people and we don't like homosexuality and all this. They've just said, we're not going to be identified by this, whereas other churches in the area are... I mean, we're going to look at a church in the area, other Huntington Beach church, that is right on its front page. We are a reconciling congregation. We are, we are, they didn't want to be associated with that, so they didn't dis disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church, but they did um, start going by a different name, took United Methodist out of the title, did a DBA. So uh, back to... The article to, I read said that was like 10 years ago, though. It was 10 years Three, ago. Yeah, they didn't disaffiliate, ago. but yeah. they distanced themselves from the marketing yeah. and branding. So... According to Epic Times, they said we're right-wing bigots because of this, but this issue is not a political one, Mr. Holt's householder said, who serves as a spokesperson for both organizations. Quote, in teaching what the Bible says on these issues, we also welcome everyone and anyone in the community to join us here in the gospel message. We've never turned anyone away. We never will. So during the COVID pandemic, the UMC, which has formal control over the church, sent in new leadership that would eventually cut several of Surf City Church's ministries, including its choir. The larger organization declared the church financially bankrupt, took control of its banking accounts, and voted to close it in June of 2022 with plans on selling it and distributing funds to other Methodist churches in the area. But there was one problem. The real estate title of the church property was still in Surf City's name under its governing board, and it wasn't backing down. So that, that was the piece I was looking for, where a lot of this comes down to um, uh, legal stuff. So what, what happened here is we're, we're going to end up in court. They're in court right now. But the laying the stage for it is, uh, according to their legal documentation going back to 19, the 1960s, they are insisting they never gave the denomination the right over their property that the denomination is claiming. And so the most recent developments are that a judge supposedly made a ruling in favor of the conference, but that ruling has not been put in print yet. The congregation is still worshiping on the premises, and they insist that they're in the right. They're fighting it. They've, their, their last lawyer got them as far as he could go, and now they've gotten a new lawyer. So let's look at some of the history here. They were a pretty decent church. They were sent a pastor in the early 2000s, named Anthony Boger, um, and he was there until five years ago. He was a good evangelical, right-of-center pastor who had the church thriving. He was really broad in his political sensibilities, they say, but traditionalist in his theology. 
And they started hosting, at that point, two other church communities. One is the well that is still there. The other one is, I forget their name, but a dwelling place is what it was called. So whenever they moved Boger on to greener pastures, they moved in a pastor named Amy Yoon. And Amy uh, submitted reports that indicated that she was trying to get them to be more vital and do new things, and they just weren't willing. But according to them, she did the opposite. Uh, she was progressive. They stopped using the Apostles' Creed in worship, which is always a, a big uh, red flag. But also, um, well, read the read the quote. Is, you, is the quote in there? Well, I'm looking at a different document. Okay. You read the quote. Um, hold on, I'll, I'll find it. It was basically she said, uh, uh, "Take that out of there. We don't. We don't. I don't believe in half of that stuff, anyways." Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Allegedly, that's what she said to the congregation. So, so so Amy Yoon, she she came there. I looked her up. She looked. She came from Baltimore, Washington annual conference. Um, but she does not try and get famous online. She's now, well, okay, let's, let's go back. Amy Yoon, she stopped using the Apostles' Creed. She uh, uh, chased out a men's discipleship choir group. Oh, yeah. She ended a lot of the committees that were meeting there so that they right. did not know what was going on as the conference was talking about closing them. Um, she tried to kick the well out. She tried to quit the... Uh, kick the dwelling place out. She did succeed at, at doing that, and then she lied to leadership saying that they had abandoned, uh, they had left without notice, but then it was learned that uh, she refused to renew the lease for the dwelling place there. And the um, well just happened to have a lease that spanned a couple of years, and that's yeah. the only reason they got to stay. Yeah, yeah, so, so now the well is fighting. They, they have no interest in moving on. Real estate values are so high there. They have a good thing going. They want to maintain it. The, the community that built it and has maintained it is happy with them being there. She, they, they had cooperative efforts between these church communities that shared the building. They had a shared youth group, and she said, no, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, so uh, she, uh, she, never, she was aware that the conference was having talks about closing them. She did not tell them that these talks were going on, that they could participate, because they probably couldn't. And then eventually last year— She just—didn't she— Disband the board too. Mm, it says she said? she disbanded their boards and committees, drastically cutting lay ownership. To me, that says that they had several. And she, I don't think, according to the Book of Discipline, she cannot demolish the church. The board. main board, okay. Yeah, they just probably had a bunch of committees and boards. That yeah, like every church does. Yeah, well, and and according to the Book of Discipline, that really is so. Uh, an interesting thing to look at is if they have a process for adopting a single board model, and if she went through that, or if she just kind of made it a singularity on her own. What becomes clear is that she was sent as an agent of the annual conference. And that's really quite common. Um, the, the, when, you, when you're talking about United Methodist pastors, United Methodist pastors really are in covenant with the conference first before the local church. They are supposed to be emissaries of the annual conference. And then some, like me, are just so morally compromised by that that, that we kind of defect and our loyalties go to the local church. But there are many for whom, you know, hey, I'm a party guy or a party gal, and this is where my conference is, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight for them. And in this case, the conference had something called the Phoenix Fund. So I'm going to pull that up right here. This is from a document called—oh, heck, what is it? This is from— 
the UM Daily, Friday, June 18th, 2021, during the 37th annual session of the CalPAC annual conference. So at this point, it was under Bishop Hagia, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And so this is during his quadrennial vision. I, I just uh, underlined a couple things before the main thing. At that point, and this is 2021, um, he knew that in 10 years, three quarters of the currently active clergy in that conference would be retired, and they're not bringing in nearly as many as are going. So the writing's been on the wall that CalPAC is not doing well. It's not going to do well. They don't really have any sober hopes of turning it around, so they have to find a way to keep this thing afloat whenever they're going to lose most of their clergy. Well, what can you do? You can liquidate most of your churches as well. So Surf City, it looks like, is the, the first of many because... Look at this. Uh, I just uh, underlined the anti-racism thing because it's just everywhere. But Bishop Hagia discussed the Phoenix Fund. Now, remember, a phoenix in a, a Greek mythology is a bird that would die and burn and then rise from the ashes and be new again. So the notion is that the writing's on the wall. CalPAC is dead, but they're going to rise from the ashes. How are they going to do that? It will allow the annual conference to run an endowed money on endowed money instead of apportionment giving. Bishop Pagia explained that the annual conference is cash poor but property rich. The Phoenix, that's so it's so it's so blatant. The Phoenix Fund will turn properties into development programs, which will provide a stream of long-term endowment income. So the financial model of the the conference is changing. They're not going to get enough from apportionments, so they're going to do hostile takeovers of churches and liquidate them, sell them in the high real estate property value, put them in endowments that then maintain the churches and pastors and overhead of the annual conference. Yeah, it's kind of covert in all of the other conferences, and this one is just like, hey, this is what we're doing. Yes. So so within this annual conference, we already played footage of the conference and the piece that I referenced earlier where the bishop is, uh, there's a Korean clergy woman who gets mm -hmm. up and says, this is not fair. The amount that you were charging us is just not fair. You're entrapping us. Because they're charging 50% of property. Value. Right. Yeah. Yes. On top of apportionments and uh, on pension or pension liabilities. Is that what it is? Yeah. Or I mean, it's it's there's no way that these churches... Right. Actually, six churches, apparently, I looked up the stats this morning, six churches could afford it and did pay their way out. But then there are 22 other churches. That, six churches in California, Nevada. Yeah. Like, that's huge. Well, Pacific. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I forget or, what the... Yeah, California Pacific. Right? Yes. So six churches wanted to leave. Another 22 can't pay their way out. So one is led by Glenn Hayworth, who is associated with the WCA over there. He did some interviews with the LA Times uh, talking about that. But the, a lot of these groups want out. You should look at that previous video we did on Cal, Hotel Calpec because uh, you can see the bishop has nothing to say. Bishop Dottie Escobedo Frank has no uh, nothing to say. I, this this was put in place before she got there. She's not fighting it. She's not even trying to defend it. She told the assembly, "Hey, I'll I'll meet with you guys privately. We can have some of these conversations." Hayworth says she hasn't responded to a single email. She's not talking. They know that they are in the wrong with this. They know that that they're being exposed. They're not responding to any inquiries from me or others because they know there's no way to redeem this. As, um, as the, the, the people there say, um, at Surf City, this is a document they sent me. This is a David and Goliath story. It's not so much about the left-right culture wars, 
but rather of force and coercion from an oppressive religious corporation against a small but mighty and muscular local congregation. Coercion, bullying, extortion, and bribery from above. So the bribery thing gets kind of sketchy because if you're alleging direct payments, that can't really be substantiated, but you have to wonder what's in it for the the different people that have come along the way and um, facilitated this hostile takeover. So um, what you'll see on the screen here is just the original documentation uh, filed in 1971, the Articles of Incorporation. They're arguing in court that they are fulfilling their charter, which was to establish, maintain, and provide suitable and customary organizations for the purpose of public worship and religious training. That's been going on the whole time. They're very much going through what Oklahoma City First Church went through, where the conference has said, you are not a vital congregation. You're not fulfilling your original intent, so we're filing paragraph 2549 against you where we declare exigent circumstances and take your stuff. So they're saying you can't do that according to your own document because we're fulfilling our original charter. Right. So why would they say that they're non-viable? So, yeah, that, that's the thing. Yeah, we need to play devil's advocate first before we go to that. So this is the umdata.org church profile, and this is the paperwork, that the numbers that they... Surf City filed themselves at the beginning of 2022, the most updated stats on 2021, says they have 100 members, average attendance of 50. This, this congregation has um, their main Anglo population, they have a smaller Hispanic population, and they have the well, three church buildings in it, uh, communities in it. In fact, for and a these are, That's just including the Hispanic congregation and the white congregation. Yes, the yeah, 50, it wouldn't be 50, including yeah. the well. So for a change of pace, huh? Or the other one. Well, yeah, yeah. Now, well, the other one's gone now because. Well, I don't know what time it did. Did it say what when it closed? Was it twenty twenty one or before that? Well, so the dwelling place, I don't think they closed. They just left. Or yeah, yeah. because she refused to to renew the the lease with them. So uh, they left. Regardless, in yeah. Twenty twenty two or before. Yeah. So okay, so here's they they're gonna paint a picture of Surf City as a not vital, dying, older congregation. This is a, a, a video that they put out um, last, no, earlier this year, of their worshiping community. Does that look old and dying to you? There's some older folks there. It's small, but I, I mean, I see churches with much older. The church we're going to talk about is far older than this one. So it seems pretty mixed to me. Yeah, well, obviously that's both congregations. That's about 50. He said there's about 50 between the two of them. All right, well, uh, the video clipped out. So anyway... Um, uh, this is the community that we're talking about. Surely there are some older folks there, um, but to, to imagine that they're dying and they're just... Uh, uh, <laughs> well, we're going to hear a depiction of them in a minute, in a minute from another pastor that, yeah. that has some skin in the game uh, somehow. The question would be dying compared to who? Yes. Like. Yeah, so one of the things, the arguments that they make is what First Church Oklahoma City made, mm. which is if you're going to consider us non-vital, failing then you're going to have to make that same uh, conclusion about 80% of churches in the denomination right. that have similar stats. 
And so right now what's happening is they're taking the more valuable properties that are that have the the smallest congregations, they're easiest to claim. But then after that, they're just picking off one at a time for the indefinite future. Um, so the, this and is go ahead. just like I, I don't remember exactly the the projected value of the property, but it was like some eight, eight million dollars at the high end. So okay, the property is valued by the denomination at twenty five million dollars. Oh, twenty five. That's their valuation process. But in the Epic Times article, what Householder says is he thinks it's between six and nine million. Okay. So yeah. I'm I'm of the mind that real estate. I mean, I don't know why I think this. I would think it would be ten uh, million or above. Uh, from what you're just looking at, the property itself, it's well maintained. Huntington and the Beach. area it's at, yeah, South so, Los Angeles, California. I, I think it's. I think it would be fair to assume that if the conference took it over, they're counting on liquidating it for over ten million dollars. Yeah. Obviously, it's big enough to have three congregations and a preschool because mm-hmm. they also had a preschool that they were running. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The preschool is going to figure in in a minute. But I mean, this this church is adopting the model. I mean, that the the congregation as it is is not able to maintain the real estate that they've got. So they've they've welcomed in a preschool. They've welcomed in two other church community. They they've done a good job engaging the community around them, um, so that they're a vital piece of the fabric there, and they're able to make ends meet year to year. Now, the, the stats that we were looking at say that their total spending per year is $463 million, and their income is $242 million. Now, when I asked their church leadership about that, they were weirded out by this. These would be numbers submitted, by the way, by Amy Yoon. Right. So he says, the way he said it, and you heard him on the phone with mm-hmm. me, uh, every year we end up with like twenty k in the bank. Yeah, 20 to 30, he said 30. Yeah, 20 to 30. We, we'll lose some, we'll gain some, Yeah, but we're never in the hole year to year. Yeah. Um, so he was really mystified by this. Heck, that's almost a $200 million discrepancy there. Um, well, it's more more, more than a 200. Well, it, and he thought it was because possibly they were figuring the mortgage in there somehow. For yeah, the they have a parsonage. Parsonage. That they took a mortgage out on several years ago, but they're paying it off, he said. So the bills are all getting paid. But if what the conference is wanting to do is put an agent there who then says, hey, I've tried to help him be vital. They won't. And look at all these stats are not doing well. All she has to do is say, look how much they're in the hole this year. Uh, We have zero professions of faith. We have zero baptized members. Um, It just, it looks like death. And so when your conference already wanting to close them and you've got your agent there who knows what she's supposed to do, it's it's not hard to do this. Sure. So yeah. they had a, an unsympathetic district superintendent named Sandra Olwine. When I say had, it's because they closed the church. And the, the method they used for closing the church, I'm not even sure it's right according to the Book of Discipline. They didn't go through paragraph 2549 at least in any recognizable sense, it seems that the bishop and her cabinet just got together and voted to close them. I don't even know if uh, an annual conference vote has taken place to close them. And the people I asked at the church weren't aware of an annual conference vote. Mm. So it seems to have been a unilateral, we're closing this thing. They didn't talk to the local congregation or anything. They only heard about it after the vote was taken. Um, Sandra Olwine was the chief representative. And you'll notice this is a, a page where she is answering questions, why are you being called to the episcopacy at this time? This is a woman who's running for bishop, okay? So the incentive here is 
people get put forward for bishop when they play ball. So if the bishop and cabinet structure are, hey, we're going to start devouring churches, then she's going, I got one for you right here. You know, so it, the incentive structure is in place for her to um, uh, metabolize, eat these churches for the good of the conference so that then she elevates and she wants to be a bishop, apparently. Um, I looked for other times in which she's been mentioned. Uh, John Lamparis wrote an article in 2016 called United Methodist Church Drops the Ball on Anti-Semitism, in which he talks about bringing a resolution to general conference when Bishop Minerva Carcano was actually um, officiating uh, as the—she was presiding uh, at that time. And Lamparis was noting a lot of anti-Semitism in the culture around us and wanted to find a way to strike that language of, we don't want to bless anything evil that Jews or the Israeli state is doing, but we stand against anti-Semitism. He had a balanced approach, and Carcano refused to let him speak to his amendment, and then she recognized Olwine, who lied about the contents of what it was. She either didn't read it, and she just said, uh, it's no good, it's trying to bless Zionist uh, stuff, or she just straight up misrepresented. So he here's the key paragraphs right here in which he alleges that she is lying, bearing false witness. So she has a pattern of behavior, I would say, supporting the institutional perspective and um, uh, a left-leaning progressivist agenda. So she was uh, a global ministries, United Methodist Global Ministries missionary to Jerusalem, where a lot of people would assume, hey, she's ministering to... Yeah. The, the population there. And it turns out she, and then I, I know of another missionary being sent there, actually are there pushing the BDS uh, uh, boycott, divest, sanction movement against the Israel, Israeli population uh, and then accusing them of, of human rights violations against Palestinians. So she's on board with this leftist takeover of the denomination, for sure. I mean, you would assume that in California, but still, yeah, there's... That's when she was a missionary in Jerusalem, and then she's had some other appointments, and now she's the DS of the South District. So uh, she played that role. There was um, Amy Yoon. Let's see, where was she at? She is now, whenever they closed the church last year, she left because, I mean, uh, she can't be appointed to a church that doesn't exist. Yeah, she's at some other United Methodist Church. She's at Chino United Methodist Chino, Church yes, now. That's it. Chino, and that's actually in a different district. She's still living in the Surf City's parsonage. Surf yeah. City Church's parsonage. And not paying rent. Not paying rent. And they are paying for her water. Yeah. Still, the, the church is paying for her water and then the mortgage on the building. You know, so if that's not weird and corrupt, I don't know what is. And presumably, presumably insurance and whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Amy and Sukyun, um, she's... Uh, well, wait, that's not her stats. That's the stats of Chino UMC, where she is. You know, it's just funny because she made these statements about, I tried to get them to innovate and get on with the times. I looked up Chino on Facebook. Chino is using a 13-year-old for their audio video tech, and they can't get their sound to work. <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. They're so behind the times. It's a beautiful church. I, I pulled them up. Let's see, where is it? I've got them... Um, Okay, so that's that's her right there. That's the I, I'm pretty sure that's her uh, preaching. So here's here's the Chino Church. It's a beautiful sanctuary. The exterior, look that's at that really beautiful nice. building. Yes. Oh man, I would love to worship there. I love bell towers. Right. Yeah, we need to get our bell working. <laughs> yeah. 
So, but anyway, they just, they are not a model exemplar. I mean, if, if Amy Yoon is an exemplar pastor of like getting churches to innovate and do new things and get with the times, this is not a church. I mean, she's been there for a few years. What are the stats on that church? No, she's been there for that. a year. I didn't look at that. Um, the stats are, okay, Chino UMC. Okay, professing members, 150. Attendance, 50, so the exact same sizes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They pay a little bit more in apportionments. Their uh, total spending is not a little bit less. Total income is though, more. Eighty-two percent, huh? So they're not paying all of them though. No. It's eighty-two. No, but I mean, this is before she came there, so maybe they're at a hundred percent. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, she was only moved there recently, so maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on the AV stuff. But that's just the the thing you immediately notice about it, and you know it. It's an Anglo population. I'm sure she's doing fine there. But generally speaking, Korean leadership in the United Methodist Church is not happy. Amy seems to be happy. Otherwise, I don't know why she would co cooperate with the conference. But uh, Koreans in this annual conference, uh, CalPAC, as well as New Jersey, uh, have been vocal in being entrapped against their will. Um, so I, I can't speak. Uh, Amy figures the only place that she figures in is at this stage that we've been covering where she has been operating against the local church, and whether or not she was excited to do that, nobody can say. But we know that whenever the church learned that this decision had been made, they tried to, um, well, it says that they held a congregational meeting in late 2022, and they invited United Methodist uh, officials to attend, but they refused to even come. And then they voted to leave the United Methodist Church and join the Global Methodist Church, but Global Methodist Church can't receive Yeah, the problem right being now. they are a closed church and not a congregation, allegedly, by the... Yeah. So so differences here are, like, at Fifth, Fifth Avenue, they had begun the 2553 process. Uh, First Church, Oklahoma City, they began the 2553 process. They never even began the process here. Yeah. They didn't see it coming... And Once the decision had been made, it was too last late. Last year, is that right? Yeah, they took this vote last year. Twenty-two. So they 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 definitely nipped it in the bud before it could even begin, right. and then have refused to to communicate ever since. Um, apparently, there was an effort at some point to try and call a, a congregational vote. The DS just said, "I don't have to. I'm not going to." Yeah. So old wine has been a a, a problem. Amy was a problem. Um, and then as of January 1st, 2023, the United Methodist Church considers the church to be closed. But, you know, now they have these people they consider uh, squatters worshiping on the property, uh, continuing to hold this daycare, continuing to host the well. And so what does a conference do? They hire a lawyer, a guy named Daniel Lula. Yeah, so instead of the church suing the conference, like in most cases, the conference is suing not the church, but... Congregational members, board yeah. members, board members, and not even, not even, <laughs> like the church secretary who yeah. the, I don't know, if she's the one, but there's another one who's not even a member of the church, and she's not even on the board. Yeah. He just found individuals to sue, so that's a bullying tactic. One of these ladies was like older and on oxygen. She, yeah, she said had like an oxygen tank she yeah. would bring to church. And yeah, it's like wow. Yeah, so one is uh, yeah, Lorian Titcomb. And they a dear elderly saint who brings her rolling oxygen tank to church with her, so that's elder abuse, they say. Yeah. Another one is Lee Selby, a clerical worker at the church who is not even a member of the church. But they yeah, they didn't put in there exactly what the, the, the specifics were that they were getting sued for. Like, I'm not sure what that... 
what that was. Yeah, I don't know if it's squatting or, or something else. He also, um, it's funny, he, well, it's not really funny. They have this preschool where they've employed a number of teachers over the years. They have like 100 neighborhood kids that have come to this. Um, Lula managed to freeze the assets of it so that they can't Lula, pay. Lula, the lawyer. The lawyer, for yeah. The for the conference, yeah. yeah. So in this case, you know, in First Church's case in Oklahoma City, they filed against the conference first to protect their assets. They filed a protective order. In this case, Surf City did not file anything. They just stayed in place, and it was the conference that filed against them with this pit bull lawyer who's going after little old ladies and closing down the nursery. The thing is, whenever they got that... um. That government money during COVID, uh, they knew that they oh, needed the to keep that huh? employee retention kind of. Yeah, that thing. I don't called. remember the CCP, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The CCC. I don't remember what it's called. Um, they got some of that money, but they knew that they needed to keep it separate. So that was like 200K that they got. And um, uh, he was able to freeze the assets that they had normally, but not the government money that they got. So they might be drawing on that now. I don't remember if he said that, but apparently Lulu's trying to track that down and freeze that. They're trying to get a hold of the physical assets. They're trying to—I mean, they're, it's a hostile takeover. They've been successful in some ways, but the congregation is fighting back, and they, they, they're sure that they have the right on their side and that the, the motivation here is the Phoenix Fund. Um, I'm trying to think if there's—we need to talk about Community Church, which is yeah. the closest church to them. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's time to make a segue— there. You're about to see some clips from this gentleman named George Hooper, who has been at this church for some time. It's a beautiful United Methodist Church. This is their website. The first thing, that's a Reconciling Ministries banner right there saying, hey, we think being gay is good. Um, and they have messy church and they have upside down church. Uh, we looked at their stats. Is that right here? Um, nope. Let's see, their stats are right here. Okay, that's that's Charles Hooper's stats, and then the community church's stats. Supposedly, they have 970 members, and their weekly attendance is 406. They have three worship services. They have 206 constituent members. They have zero baptized members, zero professions of faith, zero baptisms. I just think all this is weird. Even in 2021... And apparently they were all crazy about COVID over there. Maybe, but if it's if you're getting zero professions of faith and zero baptized members, like first off, I question whether or not attendance really is that high. But secondly, if it's that high and you're not baptizing anybody or getting new professions, that's weird. Um, they paid more than 100% of their apportionments. Good old Methodists. And then they're, uh, they're, they have a $600,000... Um, uh, uh, in the in the black for that year, so maybe that was an exceptional year. I, I should have looked at um, total income or something. Uh, I don't total income for budgeted spending plan. I can pull that up. Wow, look at that! Why did that jump? So Why would high? it jump up so much in twenty twenty one? That's interesting. Look at what else jumped up in twenty twenty one. This was average attendance. How does that happen? In so, COVID, when everybody else is shrinking. In California. <laughs> this is also in Huntington Beach. It's South just really Los weird. Angeles. It's just really weird. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he's lying on these things because I'm not there. What I will say is in these clips that we're about to look at, he's definitely lying about yeah, some the, stuff. Yeah, the whole point we're bringing this up is because he specifically says something about Surf City UMC mm -hmm. um, and attacks them. 
Yeah, let's look at his history that he gives. We're gonna, we got three clips. I for, I didn't put them in order, so we'll just we'll just do them. So this is to be clear. This is the closest United Methodist Church to Surf City, and we are not sure why this guy is talking about them. But this is in the middle of worship during his sermon. Well, he says at the beginning of the sermon because I watched the whole sermon. He uh, had like eight emails from either random clergy or people in the congregation because somebody, I think it was the the first article, um, some the, what is it? Not the Good News magazine, but the other one. The one from Epic LA, Times or the LA, LA Times? LA, LA Times. Okay. Yeah, LA Times wrote the article. People saw the article. They started emailing him, and he's like, I got to talk about this now. So that's Got to talk this, about it from the pulpit. What? From the pulpit. See, that just is a lack of discernment so far as I'm concerned. We went through disaffiliation as a church. I did not talk about it from the pulpit other than to say, this is the conversation we're having. You can come here if you want to talk about it to this other thing. And, well, and to be fair, he did actually have a sermon later on about how he was appalled by the story of uh, <laughs> the. Uh, it was a tenuous Abraham. connection, if at all. I mean, it was cool because he actually preaches substitutionary atonement theology, which yeah. you would think would not be common there. It's a little warp, wonky, but still, like once he gets to that, it's really not so bad. But the part that's bad, we're going to show you. So in this clip we're going to watch, he's going to make reference to an event that I, I didn't... Well, I kind of talked about it. So the, the, the conference leadership voted to close them, and then it was communicated to the local church that they were going to be closed. And they were given two options. One, just get out of here, and two, become a mission congregation, which is not designed anywhere in the Book of Discipline. This is a status that they gave them where we will maintain a relationship with you as you get out of the building and help you plant a new church somewhere else while we take your property. Those are the two options available. Not a great choice. So that's what he's going to be referring to at the start of this clip. After they took the vote to say they wanted to go for another year to figure out how they were going to close as a congregation and the property would sell. Again, the, 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 church, the church was already closed a year ago. But for the past year, they're supposed to have been thinking through what their legacy will be. The day after that vote was taken, a lawyer who had his greedy eyes on that property, yes, <laughs> came in and said, you should have been given the opportunity to disaffiliate to no longer be a United Methodist Church. Now, would disaffiliation bring them in any more income? No. Would disaffiliation bring in all sorts of new members who would pay all sorts of money? No. What disaffiliation would do would be allow for that property to go and be held by this new split-off denomination so that they could sell it. So I want to be able to say, like, here's the part of truth to this, but we talked to people from the church. We, we talked to the, the leader of the well. We talked to a guy on the board, and they say, we have no idea what he is talking about. This yeah. lawyer that came along being greedy and trying to make money for the Global Methodist Church, they say, that never happened. Nothing even resembling that ever happened. So this is just seemingly a fabricated lie. Why, why on earth 
would he fabricate a story like this? That just makes no sense to me. Um, the the theory that that one of them had, I'm not going to say which, is um, that he thinks he has something to gain from uh, breaking down this chart. If the Phoenix Fund is established mm-hmm. with the monies that then endows everything, that this is him destroying someone else so that he can thrive and flourish in some sense. Could be. I don't, know. So, I don't know what else it is. He, I, yeah, I don't know if he just like heard something offhand and then just created this story out of like the random pieces he had allegedly. I don't know. Who he knows? definitely Who presents knows? himself as in the know and having had regular conversations with people from this church. Yeah, and he says in earlier in this that he had at some point had conversations with people on the board. Um, but there's no telling how long ago that was. I don't remember if he actually says it, but yeah, this is this next like clip is the one where he he claims to have knowledge of the congregation. Uh, yeah, this is they're old and they don't like change. The, yeah, this is right before the other one, so these aren't okay. in, in chronological order. But. but I engaged in ongoing conversation, and I had a conversation with somebody in leadership in that congregation. And this is before COVID, so actually it was in the first year that I was here. I, I, I said, what can we do and, and what can happen? And I was told by the person who was in leadership there that, well, the congregation has decided that they're old and that they I know the talking, end is near. If this is real, I think this is but Amy. They like to just keep on to. as long as they can before they have to close. They knew closure was inevitable. They knew it was going to happen because they were not interested in doing anything that might be uncomfortable for them, that might bring growth, let's be honest. Let's be honest. That might bring change. They don't want to do anything that would help them grow. That's crazy. It's as if they weren't taking seriously the crisis that they were in, and then COVID hit. And the preschool had to close. And there went their income. They'd been renting out some space to another congregation, And because they insisted on following the rules that were given us during COVID, that congregation decided they were going to leave. And now they had no income. See, his words don't at all resemble what we've heard. I hadn't put all of that stuff together like beforehand. Obviously, he's talking about either the district superintendent or the pastor because he said specifically that she was... Not she. He didn't say he didn't use a pronoun. But, no, he didn't. Um, I was talking with someone. He made a different that like they put themselves outside of the congregation. They were saying the congregation was somebody separate. Okay, but it's somebody in leadership. But it's not the congregation. Yeah. So obviously, it's either got to be the DS or the pastor. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, one one of the guys I talked to was suspecting that he had just gotten off the phone with the DS who who told him this story. Yeah. So, but even it's just. Um, we have this caricature in our head of these churches that don't want to change, don't want to do new things. But when you're talking about a congregation that hosts a Hispanic congregation, a nursery, and two other evangelical congregations, you how do you square that circle? Like that that is not a, a congregation that's set in its ways and doesn't compromise and doesn't do new things. Like they've well, obviously been doing new things. And then what is the new thing that they're trying to do? Like what? What does that entail? Is it more well, and you know that I know what it is, but I'm just saying, like what he says flat out is, they just want to keep hating gay people. That's exactly. They, yeah. they don't want to be a reconciling congregation like us. They're if just they not open just to the growth that will come from that. We're a reconciling ministry 
oriented congregation. They would have so many more members. Yeah. They would be thriving, and <laughs> they wouldn't have to worry about renting out all of this space to random people and then losing People would just income. be busting down the yeah, doors, because that's, that's where you see all across America is whenever you accommodate the culture, the culture wants to come in and be with you because you will bless them where they are. And what you actually find is no. You know, it's the opposite. According to his stats, his church is doing well. You said you watched the whole service. The only other people you saw come up were a bell choir full of ecto octogenarians. Yeah, they had a bell choir and then like an actual choir. Like their piano player was pretty great. I think yeah. he's a younger guy. Yeah. Um, but everybody on that bell choir, it's a bell choir. I'm sorry, I don't like bell <laughs> choirs. We were talking about this earlier. Stop stop it. It's 2023. <laughs> Anyways, they 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 were they were decent. The, the choir was was actually pretty good. Um, yeah. but it was a lot of older people. Yeah. I couldn't see the actual congregation because the camera didn't pan around, but there's no talent. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's with 400 people, they've got to have uh, over 100 young people. people. Yeah, yeah, at least. Some, oh, young Statistically, people. Statistically, yeah. I mean, you would think. It'd be very impressive to get 400 know. old people together every year or every week. You know, old people don't like old people. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of old people. And they've got a yoga yoga thing. So yeah. That's, <sighs> but it's California. Sorry, you Californians. <laughs> you're into the yoga. <laughs> Let's watch our last clip of this guy. The congregation is free to continue to exist as anything they'd like to be. These were the rules that were put in place in 2019. You guys can stay together. Just get conference. out of the building that you Remember built and paid for. Remember the traditionalists, those who were the haters, those who were the rejectors? They were the folks who were saying, we want to make sure that all of those who disagree with us, who are the liberals, the progressives, they can go and they can split off from the church and, and they can find a way of, of paying money in and, and the clergy can go and, and they can go off and go their own way. And there, there was a, a, the gracious exit rules that were put in place for that. But a funny thing happens, they won, and they were poor winners. They decided to leave anyway. That's a funny thing that happened. You know, they won, know. and then they decided to leave anyway. That, why could that be? They just, they're poor winners. Yeah, it's just his historical recollection of what happened in the 2019, is that 2019? Yeah, that was the 2019 yeah. General Conference where the traditional plan won, even though the bishops refused to bring it to the floor of annual conference. Yeah. Even though all the machinery of the denomination was against it, the will of the people was that it would be adopted. They did provide for left-leaning congregations to be able to exit, and the, the structure they presented, they did not realize at the time the financial implications that the unpaid, un, unpaid pensions uh, would cause the pension liabilities. So it really was a very gracious plan that would cost very little that once, uh, what happened after that, if you don't know the history, is the Western jurisdiction and several conferences and boards of ordained ministry said straight up, we're, we're not going to abide by this. We don't care what the general conference said, we're not doing it. We're staying, we're rebelling, and uh, your move. And so the move was, okay, well, we can't work with you, we're leaving then. Yeah. You know, that, and so that's where the GMC came from. He skips over all of that, says, you remember those haters, those divisive people? That's how he calls our faction. Well, they made this plan that they, you know, he, he's got to say, well, anyway, uh, it was them, and then they left. And uh, so the, the reason I wanted that one 
is because this is what churches around the United Methodist Church are hearing from these agents of the denomination. They're getting a warped view of what actually happened. They're not being told about all the hijinks and shenanigans to change the sexual ethics of the denomination. They're not being told about the open rebellion and covenant breaking of those in leadership. They're not being told about their options for exiting at this point. There are so many churches being kept in the dark. Their pastor is not letting them have the conversation. Their DS is not letting them meet to hold the votes or have the conversation. It's amazing that 20% of the churches have been able to disaffiliate against all of these odds. And then what you're looking at here is uh, at the end of this year, paragraph 2553 expires. Remember that no United Methodist churches outside of the United States have been allowed to use 2553 on a technicality issued by uh, Tom Bickerton, who did not have the right to, to make that declaration. And then uh, you're going to have all these congregations trapped that then the leadership has already made clear they have no qualms whatsoever about liquidating your assets to keep themselves alive. You're going to see this denomination eat itself alive as it fails to make new disciples, pay its bills, but has been used to live in the high life, so they're going to devour little churches to maintain their lifestyle. Even big conservative churches are going to be held hostile, uh, hostage eventually, and right now what's happening is just a few churches are fighting it legally, and there's a big hope. I had somebody write me an email this week just going, I, I worry about you know this 800-pound gorilla in the room is that money talks, and the institution has more money than, say, uh, uh, Surf City Church. You know, So justice, typically American justice, goes towards the rich, and so the cards are stacked against anyone who wants to leave. They're just being expected to stay, pay their apportionments until this predatory paternal figure devours them. So that seems to be what's happening with Surf City. They've hired a new lawyer. They're going to bat. They're making an appeal on the, the previous decision, and they couldn't even tell me much about the specifics of that decision. So, And it's, it's totally possible that, well, we already know there's a lot more to this story than what we've heard. But, um, you know, maybe... Maybe there's more to it that adds some texture, but it seems to me that the primary people we've talked about pushing the case against this church have a financial gain in the form of the Phoenix Fund. There is gain of being on top of a denomination um, that that rewards this kind of corrupt and dishonest behavior, coercive, um, uh, power-hungry. Uh, yeah, that was the thing that I saw in that clip. He says this lawyer came along with his greedy money-grubbing hands. I forget exactly how he said it. Yeah, and I thought, that's the woke projection right there. I, I talk about that often. James Lindsay talks about the iron law of woke projection. They assume their enemies are guilty of the same thing that they're guilty of. The, the institution is money-grubbing. The institution wants power. They want the assets. They want the wealth and status. And so whenever local churches are like, we don't want to give you ours, they're like, you want it for yourself because you want that filthy lucre. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, we're just trying to exist. Uh, this relationship's gotten toxic. Let us go. And they're like, no, give us that's everything. Our, that's our stuff. How dare you? <laughs> it's it's really, I mean, I'm so glad we got out because, I mean, the whole thing, we've, we, I mean, it's been toxic for a long time, but what happens when, you know, the the food gets cut off and the mother starts eating the babies? You know, that's... 
That's kind of what you're looking at here. It's a disgusting, grotesque dark. thing. What? <laughs> so that got real dark. That got. It is dark. I mean, when you look. I mean, can you imagine what it feels like to be one of these trapped congregations? Oh no, that'd be awful. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh... Glenn, well, so I mean, it would like. I, I think for the younger people that probably haven't gone there, it's not as is, uh, like, stark as it is for somebody who's grown up there their entire life. It's mm-hmm. like poured so much into that congregation and the building and all of the stuff that uh, that sounds awful right like just getting manhandled by the 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 conference yeah because well it's their stuff you know yeah it's ours legally well yeah well and if you watch the the Lloyd Lunsford interview he explains local church owns everything but the problem is they entered into this trust relationship with the conference so the trust uh, the conference can say, in the name of this trust which you gave us, we're kicking you out. <laughs> and it makes yeah. no sense, but that's where we are legally right now. So um, if if you are in a local church that's now entrapped, I think your only option is to band together with other local churches that are entrapped. You know, people contact me all the time. I'm entrapped. What do I do? You have to band together with other entrapped churches. Either that or, man, if if you have to, just go ahead and get out. I don't know. I don't see what the purpose of staying is. Don't wait. Disaffiliate. Oh, is that the, the slogan now? I don't know. It you is just now. coined it. Yeah. Okay. That is going to be our first plain spoken t-shirt. <laughs> don't wait. Disaffiliate. Yeah. I don't know. We, maybe we'll be able to think of something better. But um, anyway, great. we need... we need. great. How dare you? Huh? So that was great. How dare you? I like it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll, we'll anyway, stick with I'm it. I'm joking. If you let's, liked let's what this, this was, pass it along. It is important, you know, I, I got a report from a, or a question from a reporter saying, why are you collecting all this information? And I said, it's because y'all are gaslighting people and saying these things aren't happening. If you're saying these things aren't happening, then we have to substantiate that, yes, they are. And so make sure everybody sees what these conferences are doing, devouring these churches with high real estate values. It's going to accelerate as they continue running out of money, and this is their strategy. So... Uh, it's good to see it coming and sober up so that whatever can be done can be done soon. So band together, spread good information, pray for Surf City Church, pray for Bishop Dottie Escobedo Frank that she would learn to repent and turn the ship around away from this this horrible strategy. Um, Pray for the United Methodist Church. They seem set on getting more and more toxic, you know, as as, uh, the water is leaving the pool, you know, these fish are starting to eat each other at the bottom of it. How many metaphors am I going to come up with for this? So so pray for these people in leadership that they lose their their taste for man flesh and they desire godly things again if they ever did in the first place. So anyway, I've said enough things. TJ, any other notes from you before we close it off? No, was that a Lord of the Rings reference? Huh? Is that a Lord of the Rings reference? No, but I'll take it. Okay. If, if it sounded good and it's insightful. Good. Yeah. Nope. So uh, make sure to like and subscribe and share wherever you saw this, listen to it. And then um, if you have any um, comments, you know, just make them civil. And then uh, if you want to email us privately, we're at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. Okay, that's it. See ya.